Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I am joined with professional card counter and advantage player, uh, Blackjack me- uh, Blackjack Apprenticeship member and pro, Nichols. How's it going, Nichols? It's going great, Colin. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to finally do this. We wanted to do this back in, I think, April. We were going to meet up, and I was going to get to interview you, and then uh, things things changed a few weeks before, and here we are like six months later and finally uh, getting getting to talk about your story on the podcast. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Awesome. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, how, when, and how did you get interested in Advantage Play? Um, so I think I was kind of aware of it from a fairly early age, though I didn't have a good understanding of it. Um, I was actually really interested in poker when I was like 12 years old, and that never developed into anything but um when i really got into it is um my previous work had moved me up to a town that was um adjacent to a, an american indian reservation and it's a very small town and the only thing to do there was go to the casino um <laughs> so i didn't really like the idea of just uh throwing money away so i figured if i was gonna turn gambling into a hobby or a pastime, I might as well learn the right way to do it to give myself the best um, odds of winning. And I came upon a book called Dynamic Blackjack by Maverick Sharp. Um, so, and in that book was a level three system, which is um, the, it's basically just long halves with the tag values doubled um, to avoid the decimals. And I started learning from there and, you know, I, I ended up for a while, I was going to the casino almost every day once I, once I felt like I had mastered things, but I really hadn't looking back. Uh, I was, I played way before I was ready, uh, for sure. So, so you moved to a kind of a small town, uh, for work and, gambling is kind of the thing to do um and that led you into advantage play how did i mean how did your family or friends take it take your interest in this um well at first i was uh not very vocal about it um you know i kind of kept it to myself i might talk to a few really close friends about it but that would be about it um but you know as things have progressed and as i've eventually made it into um the way i generate most of my income um i've been a little more open with it with uh close family members and friends and you know they've they've been pretty accepting of it they don't see any problem with it which you know coming from a religious upbringing you think it might be um but, you know, ultimately, when I showed them the results and actually, you know, showed them like CBCX and what a simulation looks like, um, they they seem to understand it and not have um, really much of a problem with it at all. That's that's nice. That's kind of what I thought would happen, you know, is if I could prove the results to to uh, my parents, my in-laws, that they'd be cool with it. But uh, it didn't go as well initially. <laughs> Um, <laughs> coming from a religious background, but but uh, it sounds like people were pretty sensible about it, and may, maybe you 
uh, are more trustworthy than me. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so you started with this level three count. What was your training like? How did you train yourself? Um, I I would just uh, get used cards from the casino and just count them down, and uh, I would deal out hands to myself and try to do basic strategy with counting. And this was um, one of the bigger mistakes I made early on is I just kind of ignored the deviations. Um, I think at one point I was, I started using like insurance and 16 versus 10, the two most important ones, but I wasn't really, um, I wasn't really taking that part of it seriously. Um, and I probably should have, um, and then, you know, another mistake would have been, I wasn't, um, running the numbers and practicing good bankroll management either. Mm. Is, is that count even in CVCX? Um, it, I mean, it's identical to Wong halves. It's just that the tag values are doubled, so you can just do it under halves and it would so work. I'm- I'm trying to remember with halves. It's like there's there's point uh, fives, there's ones, and is it twos or? Um, and then the f- and then fives are one point five. Okay. Um, I don't use that count anymore. Yeah. Um, so so you had ones, twos, threes, but, and fours in your in your count. Um. So because the tag values were doubled, I had ones, twos, and threes. So I had oh, count ones, fives is plus three, and the nines were minus one, and the tens and aces were minus two. Twos and sevens were plus one, and then the other small ones um, were plus two. Okay, okay. And was <laughs> um, did it just take take a little while to get through being able to count through a deck quickly with with that it, level three? It took a long time. I'm not sure I was ever really fast enough. Um, that's mm-hmm. a big reason why I ended up switching to high low. Was I felt like I was taking way too long to count the actual mm-hmm. cards um it, because you know with a count like that like if i have a five and i'm trying to do and i'm trying to cross cancel to count quickly i need a nine somewhere to yeah. op, to make an odd number with a 10 or an ace and it it wasn't very clean i'm sure there was a better way to do it but i didn't know how so i switched to high yeah. low for simplicity yeah i mean the, the People have probably heard me say this before, but you know, I don't know how much more EV that count would be than than high low, maybe ten or twenty percent more. But you got to be ten or twenty percent slower, um, right? Not, not to mention the mental fatigue, uh, the the possibility of making errors, all all that stuff. Uh, For so sure. you switch to high to high low. What do you what do you tell people uh, who are asking about learning a more complex count? Um. If they want to do it as some sort of um, academic exercise, like they just want to challenge themselves with it, that's great. Um, maybe if they're playing a lot of, like maybe if their goals are different, right? Like if they're playing a lot of deeply dealt double deck or maybe even single deck games and they want to not get kicked out and spread really small and have a high playing efficiency with something like high opt two and an ace side mm-hmm. count. Mm-hmm. You know, I can understand that, but if your goal is to, uh, if your goal is just to make money and to play as many positive EV rounds per hour as possible, um, something like high low or KO is probably your best bet. I mean, and you know, Zen seems pretty simple too. I'm sure mm-hmm. that one's fine. Um, but yeah. you know, 
that's not where the money is in a more complex count. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree. I the first team I was on, the guy that uh, we teamed up with, he used high low for shoe games, and he used uh, high up two with an ace side count for double deck, and he'd been playing for a long time. But it, it was like double deck. He was normally playing heads up, and he could manage that count uh, as quickly as was necessary for a pitch game. And you know, it was like, well, it's worth the added, like like you said, some added EV, but also just a better correlation and going to get to the long run faster. And I remember uh, Kevin Blackwood, he only played single and double deck games for his entire career. And so he used uh, a more complex count. Um, but, but uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't really, even, even then I don't, I don't know how worth it. It's going to be at the end of the day um, when you consider it being slower, more mentally fatiguing, all that. But uh, so, so you started out, what, what kind of bankroll were you playing off of at the beginning? So as a part-timer, um, I was not smart about it because I didn't um, set aside a bankroll, so to speak. I would just kind of go in with um, whatever I, whatever my ATM limit was and play off of that. So it was really bad uh, mm-hmm. starting out part-time. Um, and, you know, I was, I was very lucky as a part-timer, though. Um, I'm mm. not a hundred percent sure I was playing a winning game at that point in time, but I was winning. <laughs> um, yeah. And when I went full time, I, um, I still had a pretty small bankroll for a full timer. Um, the, and the only reason I really went full time was because I had, um, some other things that were not blackjack related with a bigger edge. And I, don't think I would have gone full time on a fifteen thousand dollar bankroll if I was just card counting. Yeah. Okay. So let's back up here. You how how long was it before you went full time? Um. So I started playing sometime in 2015, and this was before I I had actually moved up there. But it was when um that move was in the works, and so I was going up there a lot um, just for work. And then um, 2016, I was playing a lot. And like the middle of 2017 is when I went full time. And that, um, like, it wasn't really a conscious decision to go full time. It was more that um, my employer and I didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And I decided to um, leave that job. And while I was working, well, or while I was looking for work elsewhere, um, I thought to myself, well, in the meantime, I know yeah. how to do this, this, and this in a casino to make money. So why don't I go try that while I'm looking for employment? And then sure. I kind of just kept doing that. <laughs> you never, never looked for employment. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so, so you started pretty small, just kind of what you could pull out of the ATM. Uh, how did you grow that to 15K? Um, so that original 15 K it had to do with a lot of just, um, so a lot of it was local, um, playing some bigger edges on non table games type things. Um, and then the other thing was I would go up to a jurisdiction that was maybe five hours away and they had, so for me, like with a smaller bankroll and not, and not really having a ton of money, um, they had 
$2 minimums. So even if the mm-hmm. games weren't amazing, you could play a $50 top bet and still be spreading 1 to 20. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, or 1 to 25, I guess. Yeah. And, and you know, and on top of that, they this place was really, like there were a few places in that town that were really, really old school where they didn't have a peeker on the table. Mm. And, and they would peek under the 10. So yeah. you could, so, I mean, like your last podcast with Richard, he talks about first basing. You could actually first base in 2016 <laughs> in yeah. this place. That's amazing. And it was kind of nice. And then you could also, you know, like play the warps, right? Because if they're peeking under the tens, the tens are going to get bent the same way all the time. Yeah. And there'll be a warp. So then like, you've got really good information for insurance. If you um, see there's an ace up sure. and the cards kind of cupping the table. Yeah. That's um, interesting. Yeah. So, so, so let's, uh, I want to ask a little bit more about that. Well, actually I want to step back and talk about the $2 games. Um, so you were just really mm-hmm. grinding kind of, you know, a lower, did you know what your EV was per hour or, or you hadn't really calculated? Um, for a, for a long time, I didn't really, um, I was, you know, I was a hobbyist at that point in time. So yeah. I was just kind of going and playing and enjoying it. Um, but at one point in time, I was on a discord voice chat with Rymo mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and I was talking about, you know, this session and that session and this and, he goes, you know, for as much as you're playing, you really should get some simulation software and yeah. look at the numbers. And so, um, per Rymo's advice, I went and got CVCX and CVBJ um, and started simming it. And it, that gave me a much better understanding of the game, uh, more yeah. so than I got out of any books. I mean, looking at CVCX and like how Risk of Ruin... Um, and EV, but especially risk of ruin changes with the penetration. Um, that was kind of the first eye opener to me that, yeah. Hey, it doesn't matter if this game only lets me double on 10 and 11, they deal yes. it so much deeper than this game. That's letting me double on anything. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was a, a huge game changer for me in our, our early team I was on, you know, we, we just made up a bet, a uh, betting unit and made up a bet spread um, and, uh, had no idea of really our risk or anything with it. And, and then, you know, maybe a few months in we got, it was called, uh, oh, blackjack risk manager 2002. And it was kind of an earlier version of CVCX and, and to see how the deck penetration had a bigger impact than the rules, you know, just changed everything. Um, so, so were you, um, were you using high low at this point? Yes. Okay. Okay. And when did you get involved in uh, Rymo's Blackjack the Discord? So that would have. I'm trying to think what the exact time frame for that would have been. Um, I want to say that. I mean, it was sometime in 2016. I'm not sure exactly when. Um, sure. And that sort of uh, branched off of. Um, I'm sure some people are familiar with. Uh, well, I don't really want to name the guy, but <laughs> there was a another another kind of Discord another or? there was another Discord being led by someone who didn't really know what they were doing, and I mean it was it was bad. I mean, if you wanted to talk about um, index plays or deviations, you had to send them in private messages because if you put it in the general chat, you would get banned. 
because this guy believed that deviations didn't exist. Yeah, he was more um, of a gambler, gambler oh, that thought sure. he could count cards than a card counter. And um, and Rymo would pop in there once in a while and uh, you know try to educate people, you know, so that they're not going out and just blowing money, um, you know, when they don't have the bankroll for it. Because I mean, this guy was encouraging people to do the change jar challenge and empty their change yeah. jar and play on like $50. Um, yeah. And so anyways, Rymo got banned from that. And then he invited me to the one he was making. And eventually it ended up that this other discord channel died and everybody who was actually serious about yeah. advantage play ended up in Rymo's discord. Cool. Um, and I've been a part of that discord since he started it. And I I do a little bit of moderation over there, but mm -hmm. not a ton. Yeah, yeah, I've popped on there before. Remo's become a friend. He'll come out uh, during a boot camp weekend, and and uh, we've hung out quite a bit. But I'm glad he offered a place that was you know the people that want to use that medium could get real uh, advanced play advice rather than some of the other stuff that was floating around there. Um, Absolutely. So, so so you got some betting software. You're able to kind of figure out what you were actually generating, and then you were playing some opportunities that were not table games related that gave you a bigger edge. Right. Um, and uh, you don't have to share about that. Um, but I want to ask a little bit more about the the peak games. Um, so explain, just explain to people what, what that meant, or first basing. All right, so when there's not a peaking device, right, there's not a mirror or, um, or the little light, um, now, some places do this, but they'll only peek under the ace. But um, this place and one other place in that town would still peek under the 10. So what they would have to do is lift the card up um, with their hand. And a lot of them were very sloppy about doing it. So if you were sitting at first base, most of them are checking with their right hand. And if they're not protecting that side, you'd just be at first base. And if you were tall enough you could usually get a look at the card it, and you know it might not be the most clear look but it, it should at least tell you like paint or no paint type of information um, so is, is this pretty valuable so is this that this is that pitch game and so it's handheld and uh, this was a shoe game actually oh okay okay so uh when when are they i'm trying to just picture um when you're Seeing seeing the card from up high, right. So the so the ten as the up card, they lift it, mm -hmm. and if their left hand isn't over on the side protecting the card as it's being bent up for them to peek to see if they have blackjack, uh -huh. um, you you have a pretty clear view from the side, and sometimes even if they are protecting it, but they're not doing it well. I right? see. If they bend so, it up so, too high. If you're if you're shorter, their hands protecting it. But if you're up high enough, right? Like if their hands just laying on the felt. Um, yeah. If you're shorter, you might that might be enough to block it. But if you're taller, you yeah. see over that hand. Mm -hmm. And um, so so then you know if it's a if it's a ten up and it's a six underneath, then you'd adjust your right. Playing. Yeah. Is this at the two to fifty dollar tables? Um, yeah, so one of, one of these games was a $2 minimum to a 100 max, and the mm -hmm. other was a $2 minimum to a $25 max. And, of course, at the time, the low maxes didn't 
bother me at all. In fact, I, yeah. like on the 100 Max, I wasn't even playing the 100 Max. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I wonder if they were able to get away with if this were a $500 Max table, someone would just obliterate it, you know, and it might have right. been fixed. Well, and if it was a $500 Max, they might have actually had somebody watching the game. You yeah. know, that's kind of the yeah. other weird thing about this place is um, you would have two dealers, no pit boss anywhere in sight, just two dealers rotating on and off. One of them would be dealing. The other one would be the cocktail waitress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just silly. Yeah. I've played, I've played some places uh, sim- similar to this. Um, it, it was in another country once it, that they were, they were peeking in, and they might even make a comment. Um, did you ever have any sort of dealer tells outside of just the cup cards or? Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, this was at the 25, uh, max place and this dealer, I, I don't know if she was intentionally trying to help players or if she, uh-huh. was, I mean, she seemed a little crazy. Like she might just have, um, some sort of mental illness, like schizophrenia or something, um, but she'd peek and sort of under her breath, you, every now and then you'd catch her saying, I'm weak. Oh, wow. And so, and so that was kind of a tricky situation because if, yeah. if it's intentional, it's collusion. Yeah. If it's just her like having mental problems, it's, you know, it's her making a mistake, a mistake. and the house not yeah. protecting their game. So... So that, and then it becomes a tough thing because if you're playing it, you can't tip because if you tip, it looks like collusion. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, that one didn't stick around for very long. Uh, they closed tables permanently, like maybe my after my third trip there, I think they closed tables permanently. Okay. Um, and yeah, you know, it wasn't a huge opportunity because it was 25 max, but yeah, but still, if if you know. Uh, if you know their information, it's it's a much higher percentage advantage, right? Um, so it, it could still be, you know, I mean, it could be a situation where it's the equivalent, even though it's a twenty five dollar bet, the equivalent of a you know true ten or or something. Um, yeah, we we had that with the church team um, a couple times where dealers would kind of say some like give some information, and we just told our players like, you know, you probably shouldn't even play. But the the stakes we were betting, you know, um, we had a five hundred dollar betting unit. Like we just did not want anyone getting <laughs> getting arrested or whatever for collusion. Yeah. And it seemed like the dealers were giving information in in hopes of of a tip or or whatever. Or like, no, you cannot tip. Uh, it's not worth it. And probably, you know, don't want to risk uh, playing with those those dealers. But that that's a pretty unique situation you found. Yeah, and you know, and that's I've had other. Uh, situations before where i've been concerned about the appearance of collusion um i i mean this is maybe going a little off topic but um i was playing this game and it's a real low roller joint and this dealer like i had like a 12 or something and she made a hand um and she like looks over her shoulder and goes do you mind if i pay you and whoa and, um, of course, the only correct response to that is, no, thank you. I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. And then leave. And just yeah. leave and don't play with her ever again. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is sketchy. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know if this is the appropriate time, but I know that there's a story that has to do with Smash Brothers. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's um, like a story, but it's um, it, it's something of note. Um, I, I think it, you know, it kind of gives an idea of um, why Advantage Play appealed to me. And that's that I have um, sort of a competitive drive that I think a lot of advantage players do. Yeah. Um, so after I was uh, done playing baseball forever, um, I got really into competitive Smash Bros. And, you know, I was kind of into it from a younger age, but now I had the time and the resources to travel with. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I. I wasn't that great at the game, but I was good enough to, you know, place in the top 16, sometimes top eight of like a regional event. Yeah. And I would all, and a lot of times to cover expenses, um, because I'm from a really small state and people don't know, and people didn't know who I was unless I had played in their state before. Um, you know, to cover expenses, I'd go hustle money matches, kind of like a pool hustler, but with Super Smash yeah. Brothers. <laughs> That's awesome. That's like, like hey, uh, people. It's like it's like poker tournaments. The people that play the cash games around the poker tournament, rather than playing the tournament. Right. Right. Exactly. And you know, it wasn't a ton of money because a lot of a lot of these guys were college kids who didn't have a ton of money. So it was you know like two dollars here or five dollars here, but you know you could get enough to cover your gas. And then even if you didn't place in the money, you could at least cover your expenses that way. Yeah. So so this was before Advantage Play. Yeah. I mean, a little bit when I was a part-timer, too. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that was pre-Advantage Play. Okay. I was, I was wondering if that was uh, something you did to, to grow the bankroll, but it was pre. Yeah. So, so uh, where where things go from there? You you went full time at around fifteen k bankroll. You you'd moved to mm-hmm. high low. You'd started a network through uh, Blackjack the Discord, and uh, where and and you had some opportunities beyond just counting that that made you feel comfortable really putting putting a lot of time into your advantage play. Where things mm-hmm. go from there? Um. So. One one thing that's kind of interesting about um, my career has been that, um, you know, I mean, there's other people who have played more of these types of games than I have, but the, like most of the older generation players. But in as far as like 21st century card counters go, I don't know very many people who have nearly as much time on single deck blackjack games as I mm. do. Um. So I was, I mean, that's, I was almost exclusively, if I was, if I was card counting, I was playing single deck for Mm -hmm. a very long period of time, um, up until maybe September of last year, I think is when I finally lost the last, uh, good single deck in my region. I mean, there's still some Mm -hmm. single decks I can play. I just have to drive a little further, but yeah. And, and it wasn't because I was, um, superstitious about multi-deck games or anything it was just um when i came back to my hometown the nearest casinos to me happened to be some of the like the last bastion of three to two single deck yeah so um so that's just where i ended up getting a lot of hours and how did you approach those did you use a big bet spread or were you trying to tread lightly so what i would do is um 
well, there was one market that I was playing pretty small at um, because, like, when I looked at it, you know, there were other opportunities there as well, mm-hmm. and I could still play the blackjack game at pretty low stakes and still make a decent hourly because it was single deck, double any two, and resplit aces. So, if I wanted to play blackjack, I could, and I could, and I would try to keep the stakes low enough that I wouldn't lose the the property for the other advantage plays that were available. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit later on, I started upping my stakes there, and eventually they, um, well, they didn't technically trespass me, but they tried to trespass me. Uh, my mm-hmm. voicemail box was full, so they didn't <laughs> actually read me anything. Yeah, um, that's fine. And then, but then what I did at a lot of places, though, is I would sort of start out with a smaller spread and get them mm-hmm. sort of comfortable with the action, you know. Um, like I'd maybe play a half hour to an hour of like 25 to a hundred or 25 to 150 or something mm-hmm. so that they, and then that, that would, um, get a lot of black action checks play mm-hmm. and they would come and they'd see like, you know, a one to four spread or a one to three spread or whatever. And yeah. and go, Oh, whatever. And then they got really comfortable, um, with me being there. And then yep. either later in the session or later in the day or in the trip or whatever, um, I would start to make that spread much, much bigger. Um, mm-hmm. There was one game where I was playing, I think I was playing a two by 200 max. And then I'd like go to two by three at um, like real monsters. And yeah. so, and I had them comfortable. I was going there once a month. So everybody kind of knew my name. And if they heard yep. checks player black action from my table, it was, Oh, that's just Nichols. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. just him. That's, that's fine. And so I started uh, I started opening with one spot of 10. <laughs> and so it was like a 1 to 40 spread on a single deck game. And, yeah. Um, and it lasted a while. I mean, I played uh, the that particular place I'm thinking about. I played there one weekend a month for like two years. Wow. Before they finally backed me off. Wow. Um. And that, and that game's that game's got to have less than a point one house edge. Um, yeah, the, the that the game I was playing at lower stakes was like a point one six. Um, the game I was just thinking of was actually a D nine one, which is still oh, like point okay. two or something like that. Maybe it's point three, um, and dealt incredibly deep. Mm. That's awesome. There, there's so much value to to them just being comfortable with you. You know, there's only so much you can do. I talk about just being personable and and being natural and comfortable in a casino. But sure. man, when when they just know who you are and are comfortable with you, it just can go so far. You know, they're they're gonna have a breaking yeah. point. But yeah, I mean, that. I and I chatted up the dealers and the pit bosses all the time. The uh, the general manager of that casino wanted to do. Wanted me to do shots with him on New Year's Eve, <laughs> and you know he he comes over to the table and says, "Hey, you want to go do shots? It, it's almost midnight." And I looked at him and I went, "Not now. I'm playing," and just looked like the biggest degenerate in the world to him. So, <laughs> um, and th- and I had um I had an interesting rapport with the dealers there too. Um, I think a lot of them knew what was going on. The dealers, at least. Okay. Um, not not. I wouldn't say most, but I, but I mean more than most casinos. Um, and this is one of the very few situations where I think tipping is a good idea. 
Um, and, and this is how I would approach tipping there. They, uh, they'd get down to like 18 cards or something in their hand. And normally that was, that would be a point where they would shuffle. Um, but they would get down there and if the count was positive, I'd throw like a dollar chip or maybe $2 chips out there to bet for them. And if yeah. they, and if they pulled the discards and shuffled, I'd look them in the eye, reach out and grab the bet back. Yeah. And, and so it kind of, so without having to say anything, it kind of trained them to, when they get to that point in the deck, ask me, do you want another round or do you want me to shuffle? Yeah. So when it was getting to that depth, I was getting the extra round with, you know, maybe two or three dealers on one shift on like the swing mm -hmm. shift where if that dealer was at the table with the last third of the deck, I was always getting the extra round with a positive count and I was never getting the extra round with a negative count because wow. they would ask me yeah. every time they yeah. got to that point. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. And if you got like a true four, true five and you're betting, you know, 300 bucks, you know, yeah. that, that, that hand's worth seven, eight, eight dollars to you. If you can get them, uh, you can give up a dollar or two here and there to, to, to make an extra, you know, eight when you want it and avoid having to, you know, pay rent on those hands when it's not positive. It's a, it's a win-win. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are some of the other kind of unique games that you've found, uh, maybe around this time? Um, so there was a very, very special promotional game that was actually, um, in the area that I had lived in when I was getting into this, it wasn't the same casino I was going to all the time. It was, um, a different tribes casino and, and they, and they had run all sorts of weird promotions before that, um, were, you know, it was positive off the top, but it wasn't worth as much. Mm -hmm. Like they had this thing where they were paying five card, 21s, $50. And it was regardless of your bet. They oh, would pay wow. you that. And then they had, yeah. And they'd pay like triple sevens and stuff too, but that wasn't, that's not that frequent. No. So, yeah. but on the five card 21s, um, it was only a five, it was a $5 table. So, um, I had somebody, I think he went by Coop on Blackjack the Discord. He's not really active now. He ran some sort of sim on his own software for it uh -huh. just because he was interested in it. Um, and turns out it was worth $5 an hour to just sit there and play basic strategy. So okay. as a part-timer, yeah. I did that a lot. But they yeah. had this other promotion that was a lot more valuable. They called it, well, I don't want to call it, I don't want to give the exact name of it in case they ever bring tables back. <laughs> but um, they uh, they would put jokers in the shoe. Um, in the six-deck shoe, they would put four jokers in. And on the double deck game, they would put two jokers in and they would do this. Um, whenever they ran the promotion, it was one day a week for eight hours. I think it was, um, maybe it was only five hours, but they, uh, th anyways, they'd run it for the, for that shift once a week. And the jokers were automatic winners. Oh, wow. um, yeah. I think a lot of people have, like, if you've, if you've done some reading, um, like into like Stanford Wong's basic blackjack book yeah. and some other ones, you'll, you'll see some like Joker's wild promos, but never jokers are an automatic winner. Yeah. And when the dealer got a joker, it just got burned. Yeah. Um, so this, and, 
and the way they did it was kind of interesting because like if you got a joker you got not only did you win your hand but you got entered into a drawing and they would write your name on that joker put it in and put it in the drawing box so after they uh, so then you, you had less jokers until all the jokers were gone oh i see um so on the sixth deck that could take a while um but i had i had someone else involved in that play with me um and I, I told him I was probably going to tell this story, and he was fine with me giving his handle. I'm um, Sparrowhawk. Uh-huh. Um, I had called him when they were bringing this promotion back because they ran it once a long time ago when I was really, really new and didn't have a lot of money. Um, and now, you know, I had the money. I could bet, I could just go in and bet Table Max and not yeah. worry about it. Um, so I called him and he drove out and helped me. And the interesting thing was their shuffling machine. I don't know if it was an older model or what, but it couldn't handle jokers. It would not shuffle the card. So they had to hand shuffle it, which they didn't normally do. So their shuffle was really weak. And so on the six deck game, Sparrowhawk would, um, watch where they plugged in the new jokers and then follow them through the shuffle and cut right yeah. to them. So we got them out a lot quicker uh-huh. now, on the double deck game, which was a bigger edge off the top because it was, um, two jokers. So it was one joker per deck. Um, they would, the two jokers would come out and the dealer would break down to shuffle, um, without getting the new jokers. So if you waited for them to break down the cards into like the four half decks and then said, wait, we need jokers. They would call the floor to get jokers. The floor would come over, bring two new jokers. And instead of like stacking them back in the discards and then plugging the jokers, they would set one on top of this half deck, one on top of this half deck and then riffle them together. Wow. And then strip it to the bottom. So you knew every time they brought in new jokers, the two jokers were going to be at the very bottom. So you just cut to the bottom, joker, joker, bet table minimum until the shuffle and rinse and repeat. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's, and, and, uh, did you calculate what the edge was on that? Um, so just with the jokers, it was something like we didn't get an exact edge. We kind of approximated based on what we had read about the value of a wild joker. Yeah. Um, it was somewhere around 5% just having the jokers before including any of the um, extra stuff with um, cutting to drawings. the jokers and oh, okay. yeah, um, the yeah. shuffle. And yeah, without the drawings too. Um, and and the, tr- the only trouble with that is it was $100 max. Um, so, I mean, it was still very valuable. Yeah. But just imagine what it could have been with a $500 max. Sure, sure. Um. And they were limiting, and they would limit you to one spot. And the whole reason they did that was, like I mentioned, they ran the promotion once a long time before that. And at that time, you know, I was still really new. I knew there had to be something there, but I didn't have the money and didn't have the experience to know what to do with it. So I would go in and play like three spots and just get the drawing entries. So, mm-hmm. so it kind of, so doing that early on hurt me when they brought it back because yeah. now there was a restriction to one spot. And that's the whole reason I 
brought Sparrowhawk at first, and then we realized, oh, there's a shuffle thing here too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, was I just wanted more spots and more money on the felt. But we realized uh, the table games manager left halfway through the shift, and he was the only one that really knew the rules. So yeah. as soon as he walked out of the pit, we'd start playing two spots. Oh, okay. <laughs> like and behind his yeah, back. Would, would there be a lot of other players at the table? Um, some weeks there were, and some weeks there weren't. Um, okay. In fact, there was another card counter there once, and he was like completely oblivious to oh, wow. the promotion. He was yeah. just counting the cards. Like he was yeah. taking insurance at the right times and raising yep. his bet with the count, but just didn't seem to realize that the Jokers gave him an edge off the top. Yeah. Um, well, I was that card counter early in my career. <laughs> you know, um, how did you guys do with that at that game? Um, we did really well. Um, Sparrowhawk was there for the first two weeks, and then he had to go back to where he was living at the time um, for whatever reason. And so I played it solo the next uh, two weeks. And what's interesting is, you know, they took some countermeasures against us, but they didn't really understand why we were winning at all. Yeah. The first thing they did was they got a lot stricter about the one spot thing. That was okay. You know, it was still plus EV by a long shot. It was still a great game. Um, and then after that, they just, they thought that um, we must be counting, and they had people like come count us down, which the interesting thing was I actually was counting. Yeah. And it was spec- but it was because if someone was evaluating me, it would be pretty apparent if I just dropped my bet every time the Jokers came out. Yeah. But if the count was still positive, I could leave the big bet out there and then yeah. and pres- and that threw them off the scent of the Joker thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they see me splitting tens, but I'm flat betting and they go, oh, well, whatever. He's flat betting. What? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, so they didn't find anything there. And then they decided, well, it must be this double after split and double any two stuff. So now the double deck had already been changed to 10, 11 only and no DAS. And that was kind of because of me before this promotion, Mm -hmm. um, but they changed the six deck to double 10, 11 only and no double after split, <laughs> which made the locals very upset. Yeah. And still didn't protect them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because those, those have no impact on a guaranteed winner with the Joker. Right. And I mean, it hurts a li- like uh, it would hurt a little bit because, you know, you can't like, you're no longer going to get a Joker when you're doubling a nine and beat a dealer mm-hmm. 21. Um, and things like that, but, um, you know, it's still, you know, Joker hits your hand, you win. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so it came to an end after about a month. Yeah. It lasted about a month and they finally, I, I think they finally realized what the issue was and see, and so the very last week, um, they're, their countermeasure for me was when it was time to open the double deck, they just grabbed a six deck shoe and put it there. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. And, and, and I knew this, ta- I had known this table games manager a long time. Um, in fact, I'm the one who suggested the promotion to him. <laughs> oh, funny. and, um, but I had known him since he was like a break in dealer. Um, you know, and he had moved up internally. He finally, I think realized what was going on. And I was kind of, 
upset with him for doing that to me, you know, sticking the shoe out there when I wanted the double deck. Yeah. Um, and so the next time I came through there, you know, I was wandering the floor looking at some other stuff, um, like progressive jackpots and things like that. And um, he, and to do that, to go where I needed to go, I had to walk around the pit. He sees me and he's, you know, trying to say hi to me. And I'm just giving him the cold shoulder because I'm mad that he uh-huh. gave me the shoe instead of the double deck, which I really shouldn't have been that mad about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In hindsight, like I was, I was being a little vindictive. But so finally, he he's like, "Hey, come talk to me. What's going on?" And I'm like, "He," I go, "You know." He's like, "Oh," and, and you know, and he you know apologizes for that, and then you know goes, "Well, you know, you can't come in here every week and win thousands of dollars and expect something not to change." And I go, yeah, you're right. And then, you know, and they finally pulled the promotion. And instead of, you know, telling me, hey, no more tables or um, having me 86 or something, he he actually uh, was really cool about it and said, hey, thanks for teaching me something. Huh. Um, I appreciate it because he learned something new from that experience. Wow. Wow. And now they don't have table games at all. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> I've never heard of a of a you know, back off or yeah, I guess countermeasure resulting in thanking the, the player. Yeah. yeah, no, they were really cool about it. And, you know, and the first countermeasure, like, I mean, you know, the, like I said, the double deck was 10, 11 only before this promotion. Um, and so when that happened, that was, I think right around the time I went full time and I remember them changing it to that and the locals were upset and I was a little miffed. And I remember talking to a manager. Um, it was not the same guy who was table games manager during this promotion, but, um, and he just told me, well, we don't want you to leave, but we got to even the playing field with you. And like, Oh, well, it sounds like I just have the green light to hammer it now. <laughs> yeah. So, so you got and you guys ended up. Did that really help your bankroll, or or was your bankroll already pretty sizable by then? Um, it was it, it was already growing quite a bit, but it was helpful. I mean, it was you know between the four weeks, um, you know, it was a it was a solid five figure win. So nice, awesome. So uh, I don't know many people who've used tournaments to generate EV. I mean, I know Anthony Curtis. He he uh, spoke. Uh, about that it, when we did a kind of out of boot camp, did a podcast right. with him. But uh, but you have some experience in that, is that correct? Yes, a little bit. Um, okay. I I haven't played a ton of tournaments, mm-hmm. but one of the things I was doing early on was this one market I was playing a lot, um, both blackjack and otherwise, was giving me a lot of mail offers. And a lot of those were slot tournament entries for free that came with a hotel room. So, I, I mean, I basically lived in their hotels for over a month. Oh, wow. And was just collecting on the um, slot tournaments while I was doing other stuff. Um, so, yeah. um, the free slot tournaments, you know, I mean, there's no risk to it. They yeah. comp it. You just go in and mash the button and... That's free. And then they, they gave me a few uh, blackjack tournament entries, too. Um, unfortunately, I never won anything in either of them. I would get to like the semifinal table and have something really bizarre happen and lose. But <laughs> yeah, 
Um, did you tra- did you train for those or read any books or or? Yeah, um, I've I know I read a little bit of Stanford Wong's book on tournament strategy, uh-huh. but a lot of the information I was getting was from old. Um, forum posts i think on blackjack info from ken smith yes yes he's a big tournament guy yes yeah e-books. and and so i was reading a lot of his stuff um and then like there were some articles that he had written and i i learned a lot from that um i mean there was there was one situation where me advancing from the quarterfinal table to the semifinal table Depended on me um, doubling down a hard 14 correctly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I was behind by yeah. the table max wasn't enough. So I doubled a hard 14 and I got a five. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, hey, um, yeah. Uh, I guess uh, about a third of the time it's or a fourth of the time it's going right. to work out okay. Right. And I've done some Baccarat tournaments too, okay. which are a lot simpler than blackjack tournaments. You yeah. Know, your decisions are how much to bet and whether it's banker or player. There's no yeah. goofy playing decisions because you don't make any decisions. <laughs> well, it also involves how you pick up your cards. And if you decide to tear them a little bit or, you know, there's definitely, <laughs> there's definitely some like m- mojo right. at, right. at the Baccarat table. Right. Do you tear the card or do you poke yeah. a hole in it with the pencil? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Pygao, it's like, do you slide the card to the left or do you slide it down? There's definitely some some strategy to it that has nothing to do with anything in in reality. Um, so it's not really something you you seek out, but it sounds like when you go into a casino, this is actually one of the questions I want to ask you. When you what enters your mind when you're planning a trip or or going into a casino for the first time? Um so f- well, now the first thing I do is I talk to people within my network um, mm-hmm. and see what they know about these places already and what they're willing to share about these places already. I mean, I don't expect them to give me the uh, uh, juiciest billboard whole card game or anything. Yeah. But, you know, uh, but having having contacts in a lot of different areas is valuable for that reason. Like I so, like I'll actually be going to a new area really soon, and that's what I've been doing is talking to people that I know out there. Mm-hmm. So you're you're gonna first try to find out what you can before you go on the trip, and then and then when let's say you just go into a new casino, um, you know I know Richard Munchkin talks about not having tunnel vision and walking straight to the blackjack table, you know. It, right. it, I, mean, I don't want you to share share any trade secrets, but at the same time, you know, get people to think outside of just. Uh, just the blackjack table. Right. Are there certain things that you're thinking or doing? Yeah. So the, the first thing I'm thinking is, um, first I want to look for any information that I've been given and see if that is still accurate information. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also, you know, looking at just about every game they have, um, you know, with the exception of maybe craps, you know, I'm probably not looking at, but yeah, I, I look at, I look at just about everything, the table games and the slots. And even if I'm not like stopping and thinking about everything or like really going into um, detail about analyzing something, I'm at least, you know, walking by and looking to see, okay, is there anything here? Is there anything here? I'm getting a pamphlet from the players club to see if there's any promotions. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking at video poker pay tables. I'm, I mean, I, I'm trying to look at just about everything. I'm, in fact, like the first time I enter, I might not 
play anything at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll look through it and then kind of come up with an idea of what the best opportunities there are before I go back in and decide to play. Mm -hmm. Um, because sometimes card counting is the best opportunity they have there, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's a great card counting opportunity, but there's other times where say you've got a really good video poker opportunity. Um, you don't want to burn that out by playing blackjack and getting 86. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds similar to kind of ping pong's approach. Well, except he's not doing any card counting. How much of what you're doing is, is card counting? Um, at the present moment, I'm doing probably more card counting than I have been the last few years. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, just because I've, I decided to be a part of a team and I'm still not playing a ton of card counting hours, but you know, I'm obligated to play X amount of hours for the team. The big reason to be a part of it is it's somewhat passive income and it helps, uh, mitigate the swings and you know get to the long run faster and all that Mm -hmm. so i'm doing a little bit more now but um i would say for like the majority of uh like from 2017 to now from when i went full-time to now um card counting has been probably less than 50 percent but more than 30 percent of what i do and for the first couple years it was probably 90 percent of what you're doing um yeah like as a part-timer that's i mean that was the only thing i knew how to do yeah for a while um until i learned a couple other things cool and and you were a part of the group that played the five card charlie game that stan podolock yes yeah so did that just feel too good to be true when who who, i mean was it you that found it or was it was it stan i'm trying to remember so so stan found it and that's right yeah um interestingly enough um I knew the strategy from playing a game with six card Charlie, which, you know, six card Charlie is not enough to give you an edge off of the top five card. Charlie is, um, but, and so I already kind of knew the strategy and he, um, he messaged the group and was like, Hey, this is a thing that's happening. What do I need to do? What is the best way to approach this? And, um, and so I, I sent him a link to the uh, proper strategy for the for a Charlie game, and you know, of course, we came to the conclusion he bet Max. <laughs> yeah. Um, and unfortunately, uh, by the time I actually got to play it, they had made some changes. Okay. Um, so you know, we still still made money on it because the rest of the group played it, but um, when I had gotten out there, um, it was only twice a week instead of every day. And they were limiting you to 10 Charlies per day. <laughs> and they had lowered the table max to $100 when it was previously, I think, three. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm here. I'll play it. You know, yeah. it's still not, not exactly, but close to $1,000 in EV. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to take it where I can get it. But um, it wasn't. Yeah. I didn't get to have nearly the experience that they had. Yeah, um, so when they were out you know, as, betting max and having crazy swings, and yeah. everyone was terrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it might have been three to five thousand in EV a day, depending on how many you were allowed to get before, and it dropped, but it was still still worth playing. But it's kind of like the the uh, 
early yeah. wild, wild west of it kind of died down. Right, because at that point, you know, if you were already in the area, yeah, you go play it. But if you're, yeah. but you know, to drive like twelve or thirteen hours like I did, it was a real letdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I guess some of, some of those things, you know, uh, I remember place that we drove you know just all day for and showed up and and conditions had completely changed from from the intel we had and there's like a bust of a trip but then other times you show up and things are better than than you're expecting it's all kind of part of it you've probably seen seen it all maybe not all but quite a bit at this point of uh games coming and going Mm -hmm. yeah i'm starting to see more of that i mean promotions coming and going particular like at a, a specific game coming and going uh cha- rule changes happening all the time um you know and especially after someone gets hit hard yeah I mean, even if it's not a promotion like they they'll change rules they'll change the cut they'll uh i mean they'll have new policies all the time and then you know a few months later if nobody's been there because now they have a reputation all of a sudden it's yeah. good again <laughs> yep Yep. Yeah. Sometimes it's like you have no idea what caused it to change so dramatically, but it could be a new manager, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, There's a place I was playing. And while I was there, they were changing all the tables to CSMs while I was playing. Oh. Uh, so it went like the first day of my trip, I was playing out on the main floor by by the second or third, or I think by the second day, I was having to wait late enough for them to open up the the you know regular games and then by the end of the trip it was like only high limits room that i could that i could play but but you know they might get enough outrage from players that if i went back there it's all back to right and and sometimes um sometimes those uh changes that are made because of new management or whatever sometimes those lead to some pretty big opportunities too yeah um Mm -hmm. uh, for example um like if on Blackjack Apprenticeship, if you uh, like click on my profile, my uh, I don't know what you'd call that, like timeline picture type thing, is uh-huh. this Royal Flush that's like seventeen thousand and nine hundred dollars or something like that. Well, that happened because of a situation like that where new management was coming over, and they took a whole bunch of progressive like slot machines with progressive jackpots off of the floor and. Well, they can't just, you know, the progressive money can't just disappear. That would be illegal. They have to put it yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And they put it into video poker for some reason. Oh, man. And awesome. and I had just left this town. Like, th- this happened, like, that morning. I had left that town, and um, one of my friends who was uh, playing blackjack there calls me and goes, Hey, you're not going to believe what just happened, but you need yeah. to come back. And he tells me what the progressive's at, and so I turn around because that was a dollar machine. Uh, five credits was um, the max. It wasn't like some 15 or 20 credit type of progressive. It was five yeah. credits max. It was like a four times royal. Um, just because they, you know, made a mistake doing that. Wow. And So he so went yeah, back I mean, and picked up, picked up $17,900. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. I mean, I... <laughs> um, yeah, because he didn't uh, feel comfortable playing that game. Oh wow! Um, on his own bankroll, so I uh, so I paid him and his wife to um, play as well, so that you know yeah. it didn't take a week. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you've been 
uh, an advantage player for roughly five years now. What's been the most mm. valuable part, the, the most valuable part of advantage play when you think about it? Um, by far the, um, freedom and flexibility of schedule it provides. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I dread the idea of going back to, uh, going into the office every morning at nine mm-hmm. and you know, I, I don't like, um, I mean, I mean, I can deal with a little bit of obligation, like with the team and playing a certain amount of hours, but I still get to fulfill that obligation at my convenience yeah. Um, rather than you need to be here at this time until this time and here from this time until this time. And, you know, so I can, so I'm able to, um, be involved in more like family events or, um, things that are going on in my friends' lives and things like yeah. that. Um, it's a lot easier to make time for that without having to worry about, um, when I have to be at work, I can just, you know, cousins getting married. I can say, all right, I'll be there. I'll make it happen. Yeah. Yep. No, I totally get it. It's, 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 uh, it might be too strong of a word, but kind of addictive to just be able to say, you know, my work fits around what I really value rather than having to fit all of my values around, around a nine to five. Right. Uh, uh, any, anything you would do differently as you look back at the last five years? Um, I, well, I would have joined Blackjack Apprenticeship earlier. Oh, nice. Nice gone, plug. <laughs> <laughs> and not gone through the um not gone through the um whole experience of trying to learn it all on my own. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean either, either Blackjack Apprenticeship or maybe even another forum too, you know, sure. just um it, No, Blackjack Apprenticeship, it was, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh it was tough uh trying to learn it all on my own without it really much mm. support. I mean, once I was involved with the discord, that's when I started like really starting to understand things because, you know, I was talking to people like Rymo all the yeah. time, mm-hmm. um, Rymo and Sparrowhawk and all these other guys, uh, that were on there. Um, whereas before, you know, I was just reading a book and trying to count faster and I didn't really understand where my edge came from. I didn't really understand what the variance was like. Um, like I I didn't understand that I was very, very lucky to win 3000 in a night with a max bet of a hundred dollars. Yeah. Probably, uh, you probably would have gotten betting software a lot sooner. Yes. Yeah. That, that would be the other one. I would have, um, gotten CVCX a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think the pro betting software existed at that time. No, no. Was that that was a year and a half ago? I think. Yeah, that. that's that, that's more what I use now, if for no other reason than because my uh, laptop doesn't want to cooperate with me. Yeah, and I yeah. can do the pro betting software on a tablet or a phone. So yeah, that's why yeah, I need it. I would have done that. Um, and then you know, there's. I, I think I think everybody's got a few. Um, Memories like this. There's a few places you wish you just would have been more aggressive at before they, yeah, got rid of you. Yep, man, that's tough though because you made some places last, but mm-hmm. it's always like hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, if you should have just been more aggressive or should have you know treaded more lightly, it's so so tough. But I think in general, I think most of us look back and say, I wish we would have been more aggressive and and uh, you know generate the EV when we could. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with splitting tens, you know, you don't split your tens because you're worried about heat and then you get backed off the same session anyways. And it's like, <laughs> well, why am I not splitting my tens when the count calls for it? Yeah. You, you heard it here, uh, folks. Split your tens when the count calls for it. Yeah, <laughs> do it. <laughs> uh, any, anything else you want to share with people while, while we got you? You know, I don't really have um, anything in particular, like a story or anything to share. I mean, I've, you know, I, I don't have good back off stories because they've all been polite. I've, <laughs> well, that's nobody wants nice. to, nobody wants to hear bad beat stories. I guess uh, what I will say though is, you know, keep your eyes open to other opportunities. Um, don't, uh, you know, just for the new players out there, the people that are maybe getting ready to go out and play or maybe even play full time, you know, like we said earlier, uh, don't get tunnel vision about card counting. You know, card counting is great. And there's almost always an opportunity in most gaming jurisdictions for you to count cards. But it's not the only thing. So if you see something and you think there might be something there, um, you know, take a look at it, at least investigate it. Because um, yeah. you might be sitting on a gold mine and you don't want to be the guy counting cards at a Joker promotion. Yes, yes. That's that's a good good point. There, there actually was a very, very similar thing that happened, I don't know, maybe six or nine months ago that uh, – it almost combines two of your stories, but there was a casino closing down and they had to pay out all of their jackpot money. Um, it, was, <laughs> right. it was changing, changing ownership and they, they had to give back to the players all this, all this, uh, you know, progressive or whatever it was. Sure. And so they, they came up with all these ways to give it back. It, you know, it was like, if you got a certain kind of blackjack, maybe it was like a hearts blackjack, you got automatically paid at the blackjack table. If you're at, you know, Baccarat, it had to do with some sort of hand or whatever. They came up with all these things, and um, I couldn't. I couldn't play it. I had something else going on, um, and so I just. I told a couple friends because I figure if someone's going to take the money, I want it to be people I know. And and uh, and they're crushing this promotional thing for hundreds of dollars an hour. And actually, someone, uh, you know, a card counter that had been at a recent boot camp walked in, went straight to the blackjack table, sat down, recognized that one of the persons playing playing it because it was someone that. What, someone that helped put on the boot camp, and never was curious about what the person was doing. <laughs> he just started counting cards there, and there's things plastered yeah. all around the casino saying, you know, like all these payouts you get for for um, you know these different hands at different games, and it was just like, it just walked walked past thousands and thousands of dollars worth of EV to just sit down and, and count cards. And so uh, you got to just have your, that reminds me earlier. You asked, um, you asked like what my approach was when I'm walking through a casino for the first time. And actually that that's, you just reminded me. Um, one thing I like to do is if I see somebody betting more than the average customer, um, and usually it doesn't take that long to figure out whether they're an advantage player or not. But yeah. I almost always stop and watch to see what they're doing to see if, um, one, if they're an advantage player and I need to like stay away from them like while yeah. they're playing. Or two, um, if there's another angle there, I want to know what it is. Yeah. So I'll kind of sit back and observe. And, and generally speaking, um, 
an advantage player in a casino is going to be betting more money than the average patron there, especially in these yeah. small towns. So that's one of the things I kind of look for. And then, you know, the other tells like having a bunch of cash and old cargo shorts and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> but, um, or having like a chip inventory that's like a bunch of reds and greens that aren't colored up. Like that's usually a good sign too. Yeah. Um, and so I'll like look for those kind of things and see if someone else is playing another angle. Um, but I think what, what you had said about, um, sharing that opportunity with a couple other people is, um, another important thing to note for newer players is, um, your network is so valuable. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly valuable. So if you get a situation like that where you've got something really good and you can't play it, you know, let someone else have that one and they might, you know, send something your way down the line. Yes. Or, you know, they might even give you a cut of their action on it. Yep. Um, in which case you get some EV instead of no EV. Um, yeah. And so, so you know, really, it's, it's a good idea to work on developing a network. Um, don't, you know... I mean, you don't have to like give out every play that you have to somebody and tell them all of your um, secret games, but you know, at least being helpful um, in some regard, like whether it's pointing someone in the right direction if they're newer, or maybe giving some intel about a, a count game and someone's going somewhere. You know, wh whatever you can do to try to just yeah um, get people that you trust. Um, because then, because then in the future, you know, you, you guys end up sharing information back and forth all the time. And say you live on, say you live on the west coast, and the other person lives on the east coast. How else were you going to get intel about Atlantic City or Pennsylvania if you weren't talking to somebody over there already? Yeah, no, absolutely. That it's. I think people need to have the attitude of paying it forward rather than waiting to be paid back. You know, right. it's just going to, it's going to benefit you more. And don't be short-sighted and just think about, you know, the dollars you can make today. Think about, you know, the value of a valuable network over, over a career, what that's going right. to do for you. That's awesome. Cool. Well, uh, any, any, uh, I guess people can ask you on the forum if they have follow-up questions. Are you cool with that? Yeah, um, ask me if it's about blackjack. Go ahead and ask on the forum. If yeah. it's about other stuff, go ahead and send me a private message. I I can't promise you that I'll answer the question yeah. to your satisfaction, but I can at least try to point you in the right direction, or or something of that nature. Well, people people should just understand that in general. You know, we're yeah. we're in a business that does involve a level of uh, you know. Uh, Keeping some things close to the chest, but, right? But you've you've been for people who don't know, uh, Nichols it, it helps moderate our forum. He's been incredibly generous and valuable uh, as a forum moderator, and people have been clamoring for uh, for this podcast for a long time. I just know there's going to be some people that you know probably had a question that I I didn't think ever didn't get to, but uh, right. yeah, you're not going to give up your secret game to everybody, uh, as I wouldn't expect expect people to do. Well, maybe but. maybe if you've got a secret game for me, I'll share a secret game That's with right. you. That's <laughs> right. Pay it forward, folks. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, spending, spending this time to, to share about your story. And uh, you guys can, you know, ask Nichols follow-up questions on the forum when, when I post this on there. And, uh, you know, 
if you have any other questions, you could ask ask them whether it's related uh, or at Nichols or, or not, just on, on the forum at Black Check Apprenticeship. And we'll catch you guys next time. Bye.